Hey, for just a few moments today, I want to continue my series entitled Fearless, Fearless. We're actually looking at the life of David in the scriptures. And up to this point, we recognize that God rejects Saul as king because Saul has some issues. Saul has some insecurity issues. Saul has some jealousy issues. Saul has some bitterness and anger issues. And as a result of that, the Bible says the spirit of God departs from Saul and an evil spirit comes on Saul. Now, I believe that God just takes his hand off of Saul's life because Saul was so disobedient and he did not want to obey God that God says, you know what, I'm just going to take my hands off your life and I'm going to allow you to make the decisions that you want to make in your life. And as a result of that, Saul is opened up now to an evil spirit. I believe that bitterness, I believe that unforgiveness I believe that jealousy that is, that is untamed, that is not dealt with, can lead to spiritual torment in our life. I can't tell you how many people are tormented by jealousy or anger or bitterness in their life, unforgiveness that turns into anger in their life and they're tormented. And the Bible says that Saul is so tormented that he cannot rest, he cannot sleep. And one of his officials says, I know a young man and his name is David. And man, when he plays the guitar, he plays it just like Anthony Gabon. When he sings, he, he sings like Anthony Gabon. And when he sings, the presence of God comes down, and it'll bring comfort to your soul. And the Bible says that Saul, he started to feel better every time he heard the music being prayed and worship being sung to God. Friends, I want to tell you, sometimes feeling better isn't really a good thing. Why? Because Saul felt better for the moment, but he wasn't changed for a lifetime. And there's so many people that come to church week after week, and they tell me, they say, Pastor Steve, I love coming to church because I feel better when I'm in the building. I feel better when I come to church. God doesn't want you to just feel better when you come to church. In fact, sometimes God wants to make you feel bad to, so that you could feel good. God sometimes wants to say, man, you lost your focus in your life. You don't know what is the most important thing in your life, and I need to be the focus of your life. God sometimes needs to say, look, you need to get off the sideline. You need to get in the battle. You need to get in the race. You need to give your whole heart to Christ. And the truth is there's a lot of people who come to church because they want to feel better, but they've never really surrendered to Jesus. They're not God followers. They're not Christ followers. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to get off the sideline, and you got to get in the game. you got to get in the battle. You, you've actually got to give your life to me. He said, no man could be my disciple unless he denies himself, picks up his cross, and comes, follow me with all of his heart. And so David is a Christ follower, and God says, you know, I found a man after my own heart. And so David now is going back and forth from Saul's palace back to his house. He's going to Saul's palace because he's playing for Saul. And as he's worshiping, Saul's feeling better. And then he's going back to feed the sheep. Now notice, David had already been anointed king. Okay, 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed as king. It takes 15 years for David to actually become the king. And David faces a lot of giants in his life. And he's going back and forth from the palace to his home, take care of the sheep. And one day while David is back home taking care of the sheep, the Bible tells us that the Philistine army and the Israelite army are encamped near a valley. 
That's where we pick up the story. You see, the Philistines were the arch enemies of the Israelites. They were the thorn in their flesh. I mean, they hated the Israelites, and the Israelites hated the Philistines, and they were always, they were always at war with one another. And here's where we pick up the story. Now, I was tempted to kind of um, not read the whole story, but kind of go through it real quick. But I'm not going to do that. Why? Because it's such a powerful story. It's such a powerful story that I've got to read it to you in its entirety so that you can understand the power of what I'm about to say. So I want you, if you would, to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephesdemon between Sokah and Azekah. And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites on another hill with the valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, and he had a, a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat, a scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 100 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judea. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadad, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine camp came forward every morning and every evening and took a stand. Now, Jesse said to to his son David, take this ephod of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses because the commander of the unit is Italian and bring it to them. <laughs> see how your brothers, see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. They weren't fighting at all. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out at, as Jesse directed. 
He reached the camp as the army was going out into the battle position, shouting a war cry. The Israelites would go out, praise God, hallelujah, God is good. He's bigger than any situation. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle line, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his line and shouted his usual defiance, 40 days. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him with great fear. They'd come out, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Goliath would step up, they'd run away. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him from Nassau County taxes. <laughs> David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the will? David, you're a little boy and you got a few little sheep. You see, Eliab was actually jealous of David. Why? Because Eliab saw David get anointed as king. And Eliab was trying to tell David, you can't do this. You're just a little boy. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, David said. Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And, and, matter. and the man answered him like before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant would go out and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior since he was a youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, and I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from his hand from this Philistine. Saul said to David, go as the, and the Lord be with you. Now, I don't think that Saul was really interested in, in actually David going out and fighting. I don't think that Saul really believed that David was going to kill the giant. I think Saul was saying, listen, maybe we'll send the kid out. And when the kid is distracting the giant, we'll jump in and try to get the giant and kill the giant. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, 
he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took a staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, and he despised David. He despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his guard. Come here, he said, and I will give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands." As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine right in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel, those mighty men of Israel, and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherimim road to Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp, and David took the Philistine's head and brought it, ooh, dripping with blood. He thinks it's Halloween, and he brings it to Jerusalem, but he put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. So many incredible characters in this story. I mean, we finally, as we're studying the life of David, we get to the story. It's the big story. It's the story about how David takes down his giant. Oh, it's the story that can preach. So many characters. And the first character is a very obvious character. Why? Because he's loud. He's obnoxious. He's self-reliant. He's self-dependent. He's not afraid of any man, and he is defiant. His name is Goliath, and it's interesting to understand that the name Goliath actually means to, to actually reveal, to expose, to show somebody what their heart really is like, to reveal or expose or uncover. Goliath is about nine feet six inches tall. 
His armor actually weighs 125 pounds. I'm 175 pounds, wet and dripping. Can you imagine me putting that on? His sword is 15 pounds compared to all other swords that are about two pounds. His weaver, his spear is the size of a weaver's rod. A weaver's rod. You know what a weaver's rod is? It's a rod they put on a weaver's wheel. It's big. It's gigantic. And this dude is so big that he can thrust this spear and take you out in one shot and every day the Israelites line up on one side and the Philistines line up on the other side and David steps out of the line and he begins to shout at the Israelites he begins to taunt them he begins to mock their God he tells them that their God is dead that their God is not even a real God that their God is a wimp that their God fell asleep and there's no way in the world that their God can defeat me he was defiant he was arrogant and he cursed the Israelites for 40 days. Now, 40 is a very important number. Why? Because we know that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. We know that Moses went to the mountaintop for 40 days. We know that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. 40 is a very important number. And on the 40th day, God said, I've had enough. I have found a man. I have found a young man that's a man after my own heart. And I'm going to send him to deal with this giant. So the Bible tells us that David comes and he hears that the giant is actually mocking his God. And the Bible says that David burns with holy anger because David is jealous for the fame and character of his God. And David recognizes this is really not a war of Goliath against the people of God. This is a war of the devil against God himself. This is a war of understanding. This is a war of philosophy. This is a war of truth and a war of lying. You see, the Bible tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie. It's a lie that the enemy tells us. It's a lie that the enemy tells us that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up. It's a lie that the enemy tells us that we can live any way we want and there's no consequences of sin. It's a lie that the enemy tells us that, you know what, we can kill an unborn child in its, in its mother's womb, that we can live an alternate lifestyle, that we can do whatever we want to do and God's not going to judge us. We can do whatever we want to do and there'll not be any consequences. It's a lie that tells us that there's too many giants in the land. There's too many people that don't believe in Christ. There's too many people that are opposed to the gospel. There's too many lies in this world telling Christians that they can't do it. And Paul the apostle tells us that we take those strongholds in our life and we demolish those strongholds with, through the powerful weapons that God has given us. As the Bible says that the real war that we're fighting against is not a flesh and blood war, but we war against principalities and wickedness in high places. Therefore, we're to put on the full armor of God that we're able to stand against the lies and schemes of the evil one see my friend make no mistake there's giants in the land that defy the knowledge of God and the truth is all of us in this room will have to face our giants in our life 
For some of us, we're going we're to have to face the giant of depression in our life. Man, there are times when we've got this giant that's sitting on our chest, and we feel like we just can't get out of bed. We can't get out and do the things that God wants us to do. Some of us, we're going to face the giant of resentment and bitterness in our life. We've been hurt by someone, and man, that pain goes so deep into our heart that we don't know how we're going to be able to forgive. We don't know how we're going to get free from this pain and this bitterness in our life. Some of us, we have to fight the giant of addiction in our life because we know that we're addicted today, but we just don't know how to deal with that giant of addiction in our life. Some of us, we need to fight the, the, the giant of uh, that standing at the door of our home, trying to destroy our marriage, trying to destroy our kids, trying to destroy our home. Some of us are going to have to face the, the giant of debt in our life, maybe the giant of bitterness or selfishness, whatever it might be in our life. Giants are problems, giants are pressures, giants are pains, giants are persecutions that we will all face in our life. And giants oftentimes cause major difficulties in our life that bring with them the possibility of life-threatening situations. And the truth is more than likely, those that are watching via live stream, those that are in the overflow, those that are in the balcony, wherever you are, you're facing a giant in your life. Most likely, there's somebody in this room that's facing the giant of depression or anxiety or the giant that's trying to steal your marriage. And the, and the truth is, a giant is anything in our life. A giant is anything in our life that tries to steal our personal God identity. A giant is anything in our life that defies who we are in God, that defies who God is in our life. A giant is anyone who tries to defy our past, who tries to either pull up our past sins or tries to get us to forget the faithful things that God has done in our past. For some of us, our giant may be the fact that we've, lost, we've lost focus in our life. That at one time we were focused, we were locked and loaded, and we were focused on Christ. But somehow we've become so busy in our life. We've become so busy with the world, so busy with our problems and our giants, that we have lost focus of God in our life. And now we're discouraged. Or perhaps maybe, maybe we've forgotten that everything in our life is about the glory of God that we live to glorify God, but we're so consumed with our giant problem that now all we can think about is our giant problem. All we can think about is us trying to get out of that problem, but that we can't understand that sometimes God allows us to go through problems in our life so that we can show off our God to show how big and great and mighty he is. Come on, somebody. Or maybe you've lost persistence in your life. Maybe you got knocked down and you just don't know how to get back up again. And maybe the enemy's telling you, you're not going to get up this time. This time you're going to stay down. This time you're going you're to fail. This time you're going to fall. This time God's not going to rescue you from this situation. A giant is anything that distracts us from our focus on God. Anything that deters us from our service to God. Anything that drains us from a driving passion to let God be known in our life. Giants represent anything that oppose God. And the truth is, listen to me, look at me, every one of you, listen to me. Just like the name Goliath, a giant problem in our life, a giant situation in our life always uncovers what's really in our heart. 
It always reveals what we're really trusting in, who we're really trusting in, who we're really relying in. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. When Goliath stepped out of the line and he began to taunt the Israel, he began to taunt and mock the Israelites, what he really did is he showed the Israelites who they were really believing in. Did they really believe that God was a great God? Did they really believe that God was a giant killer? And the Bible says they would step out, they would sing, they would shout. Listen to me. It's easy to come to church and sing. It's easy to shout and praise the Lord. It's easy to say you're trusting the Lord when everything's going well. But man, when that giant steps into the valley, when that giant looks you toe to toe, when that giant looks down at you, and when that giant begins to defy you, that's when you really know, am I truly a follower of God? Do I really believe that God can take down the giants in my life? Do I really put my trust in Christ or am I putting my trust in myself? You know, the people of Israel, they were on the doorstep of, of the promised land. And the Bible says that God told Moses, send some people in, and they saw giants, and they said, we can't take the giants, and they wandered again for 40 years. Why? Because they really were not trusting in God. They, they had forgotten who they were. It says, when we looked at the giants, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight. They had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten that God was the God who took them through the Red Sea, that God was the God who took them through all the problems through the wilderness, and God had provided manna, and God provided everything they ever need. They lost their focus on God, and they didn't realize that God was allowing them to face these giants. Why? Because God wanted them to take down those giants so all the world would know this is the God that we serve. This is the God who's faithful. This is the God that we love. This is the God that we honor, Jehovah God. They had lost their persistence in prayer. You see, and as a result of that, that giant, that day when that giant stood out and began to mock the people of Israel, it was uncovering what was deep in their heart. But see, David had a different spirit. David had a different heart. The Bible tells us that David had a heart after God. David was jealous for the name of God. David was jealous for the character of God. And when David steps up, he says, listen, even if I die in the valley, I'm going to face this giant in my life. I'm going to face this giant that's coming against Israel because I'm jealous for the glory of God. He had a different spirit. And when David faced the giant, David responds differently. How does a person with a heart after God respond to the giants they face in their life? How do you and I, if we're going to be people that have a heart after God, how do we face the giant of fear in our life? How do we face the giant of addiction in our life? How do we face the giant of insecurity, of pain, or hurt, or marriage conflict, or resentment, or loneliness, or guilt, and shame, or worry, or discouragement, or depression? When David faced the giant in his life, he faced it with passion. He faced it with faith and confidence, and it came all from the Lord. But I want you to notice verse number 40. It says, then David took his staff in his hand. He took off the armor that Saul gave him because he knew that he couldn't go in Saul's armor. And he took a staff, and the Bible says that he, that he, that he went to the river, he went to the, to, the, to the water, and he picked out of the water five 
smooth stones. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about the, the five stones that will bring you victory in your life when you face your giant. The first stone is the stone of personal identity. Everybody say with me, personal identity. See, David knew who he was. Giant bullies always intimidate us and make us question who we are, what we can or cannot do, and who is walking with us. And my friend, you better know who you are in Christ or the devil will eat you up alive. The giant was big. The giant was scary. The giant was intimidating. But David never forgot who he was. Notice verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David said, what will be done to this uncircumcised Philistine? You see, that was really important. Why was that important? Because circumcision in those days was actually a mark of being in covenant with God. Now, I know we don't want to talk about circumcision in church. But circumcision was really important. Because the truth is, when God entered into a relationship, a covenant with Abraham, he made promises to Abraham. He said, Abraham, if you obey me, if you serve me and love me and trust me by faith, then I want you to know I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. In fact, he made Abraham cut animals in half. And the Bible says in the middle of the night, God passed through those animals like a fire. And God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, let the same thing happen to me that happened to these animals. You see, when God enters into a covenant with you and I, he keeps his promise. When God enters a covenant with you and I, he knows who you are, he knows who he is, and he keeps that love relationship with you. And friend, I want you to know today, when the enemy comes, comes and he stands in your face, the first thing he's going to do is question who you are. He's going to try to get you to question who you are in God. He's going to tell you, you're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. You can't do it on your own. There's no way in the world. That's when you need to remind the, the enemy that you have, been, you have been given the right to be in a covenant relationship with God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are in a relationship with God. God is your father. You are his son. You are his daughter. And as long as God is your God, then there's no weapon that is formed against you that shall prosper. Come on, somebody. Did I come to the right church today? Come on, somebody. Help me out. David was saying, I don't care how big this giant is. He is an uncircumcised Philistine. But I am a circumcised child of God. And as long as I'm in a covenant relationship with God, how do you get into a covenant relationship with God? You recognize that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And there's no way in the world that you can get yourself to heaven by your good works. Friends, let me tell you, if you could get yourself to heaven by being a good person, by coming to church, then Jesus was a fool for dying on the cross. But Jesus died on the cross to give you peace with God. And when he shed his blood, 
He gave you the possibility. He gave you the invitation to come into a relationship with God. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, God becomes your Father, your Daddy God. And He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. He will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. He will keep every promise that he has made to you. And the promise he has made to you is the work that he started in you. He will finish that work in your life. And so just like David, you need to rise up when that giant problem comes in your life. And you need to remind that giant problem that you are the head. You're not the tail. You're blessed going in and you're blessed going out. And there's no weapon that is formed against you that will prosper. Come on, somebody. Let's be real today. We know that we're facing difficult times. We know that we're facing giant problems in our life. But that's when the man of God, that's when the woman of God needs to say, I don't care what giant I'm facing in my life. I know it's big, but God is greater. And as long as I'm holding the hand of a great God, I can walk into the valley. And sometimes you're going to have to walk in the valley all by yourself. But I want you to know God is going to walk with you because he said, when you're in a covenant relationship with me, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be right there fighting the battle for you. Come on, somebody, help me out. Wow. You got to know who you are, and you've got to know who God is. I know that you're facing some giant situations in your life, and the truth is it can get scary. It could really intimidate you, but right now, in the midst of your battle, right now, you're facing the greatest challenge of your life. You need to remind yourself who you are. You need to face your giants in your life and remind yourself who God is, that you've been chosen by God, that you're seated in heavenly places through what Christ has done for you, and that you are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, and you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, and you're more than a conqueror, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And as long as you're a child of God, and as long as you're in a covenant relationship with God, and as long as Jesus is Lord of your life, you have nothing to fear. You can live a fearless life. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 8. Listen to what he says. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for me, who can stand against me? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No, no one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life again, is at the right hand of God, and he's praying for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for, for your sake we face death all day long. For your sake we, 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 we climb down into the valley and we, we face the giants of our life. And we face it with faith. Why? Because we're considered like sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor 
nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor giants, nor depression, nor doubt, nor fear, nor any other creation, nor any other thing that's happening now or in the future, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is found in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. I know who I am. Number two, quickly, David takes another stone. And David takes the stone of past faithfulness. David reminds himself. David remembers all the things that God did in the past. And while the Israelite soldiers are quivering, David is remembering. David says, if no one else is going to tackle this giant, I'll do it. You see, the moment you decide, look at me, everyone in this room, the moment that you decide that you're going to live for Jesus, no matter what comes your way, the moment you decide that you're going to stand up against the giant of fear in your life, you're going to stand up against the giant of doubt. You're going to stand up against the, the giant of unbelief. The moment you decide to confront your alcohol addiction or your drug addiction, the moment that you uh, stand up and you say, I'm going to confront that porn addiction in my life, whatever it is, the moment you decide that you're going to stand up for what is right, the moment you decide that you're going to stand out of the crowd, you're going to get off the sideline, you're going to stop procrastinating, you're going to stop waiting for somebody else to fight your fight. The moment you decide that you're going to climb into the valley and you're going to face your giant, the moment you decide that you're going to fight for your marriage and you're going to fight for your kids and you're going to fight for your children, the moment you decide that you're going to defeat the devil and you're going to stand up for your dream and you're going to stand up for your destiny and you're going to stand up for the promises that God made for you, the moment you decide that there's no more indecision and there's no more standing on the sideline and there's no more being paralyzed by fear. The moment you do that, somebody is going to look at you and tell you that you're too small, that you're too weak, that you can't stand up to that giant. That's the moment that you've got to pull out the stone of the past and you've got to remind your future that God has always been faithful to you in your past. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Saul looks at David and said, David, you're too small. You can't do this. And, and David says, and David says, oh, Saul, with all due respect, I get it. I understand. I've watched the videotapes. This dude takes people down. I get it. He's nine foot six inches tall. He wasn't denying that the giant was really big. You know, there's actually a teaching in the church today. I, I think it's just... I think it's too far off. There's a teaching in the church that you're never supposed to tell anybody what you're going through in your life. You just got to pretend like everything's good. Did you ever meet somebody like that? Their whole, their whole life is falling apart. How are you doing? Hallelujah. Praise God. Blessed and highly favored. <laughs> their marriage is falling apart. Everything around them is falling apart. And, and, and they're lying. How you doing? They're sneezing. They're coughing. I'm fine. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I get it. I, 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 get, I get what you're trying to do. I understand that. You see, we don't deny our giants. We just know 
that no matter how big our giants are, God is still bigger. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Now he'd say, listen, I understand the doctor gave me this report, but God is able. Hallelujah. I, I, under, I understand that I've got a mountain of bills, but God is able. I, I understand that my marriage is on the rocks, but I got a rock, I got a stone, and it's the stone of remembrance. You see, there was a time, Saul, when I faced a lion, and man, that lion came against me. That lion wanted to take me down, but by the grace of God, I took that lion by the throat, and I dealt with that lion in my life. And friends, I want you to know, you've got to remember there were times in your life when you had a lion of a problem. You had a, a lion of a situation, and by God's grace, by God's favor, you walked through that valley. You got through that storm in your life, and God was faithful. Hallelujah. And God, God sent that lion so that you could see that God is a big God. And there was a time in your life you had a bear of a problem in your life. You were depressed. You couldn't get out of bed. But now you're in church praising the Lord. Glory to God. You were addicted to drugs. You were addicted to porn. You were addicted to life, whatever it might be. And God set you free. Never forget the faithfulness of God in your life come on somebody the stone of remembrance someone once said a good memory makes heroes a bad memory makes wimps a good memory makes warriors a bad memory makes wimps that's why God tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, remember his marvelous works which he has done. David said, when you're facing a giant, pick up the stone of remembering the past faithfulness of God. Isaiah says, remember the former things of long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Deuteronomy 5, 15, you shall remember. Everybody say remember. I will remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by his outstretched arm. Deuteronomy 7, 17. If you should say in your heart, these nations, these giants are greater than we are, how can we dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did in the past. Come on, close your eyes for a moment and begin to thank the Lord for what God's done in the past. Catalog God's successes in your life. Keep a long list of all the great things that God did in your life. How many nights have you gone to bed hungry? How many mornings have you awakened in the cold? How many times did you think you weren't going to make it? And God helped you to make it. The third stone was the stone of precise focus. Keeping your eyes on God. Friends, I want to tell you, when you're up against an incredible situation in your life, there's going to be a giant who's going to try to get your focus off of God. 
And that's when you need to know if you're going to take down your giants, you better stay focused on the right thing. You better stay focused on God. You better stay focused on the word. You better stay focused on his promises. You better stay focused on the prize. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses that surround us, that cloud of witnesses, Moses, that cloud of witnesses, Joshua, that cloud of witness like David, those guys who took down their giants the bible says since we are surrounded by such a cloud of warriors and witnesses let us cast off everything that hinders us and the sea the sin that so tries to entangle us and let us run our race with perseverance keeping look at me keeping our eyes fixed on god who is the author and finisher of our faith david sees what others don't and refuses to see what others see. Saul says, you can't fight that giant. He's too big. You're just a little boy. But David doesn't see a little boy. David sees a giant killer. He had a giant killer mentality. Look at me, every one of you in this room today. God sees something in you that you can't see in yourself. God sees a giant killer. You might look at a little girl who's been wounded. You might be looking at a little boy when you look in the mirror who's been wounded. And you think, you know what? There's no way in the world I can kill a giant because somebody told me that I can't do it. There's a young boy whose father died when he was four years old. Went through a whole lot of pain in his life. He stuttered when he was a little boy. A little bit shy, a little bit awkward. But God, God could see something in that little boy that that little boy could not see. That little boy became a pastor. That little boy is me. That little boy stands in front of hundreds of people every week <laughs> proclaiming the good things of God. God sees something in you that you cannot see. Keep your focus on God. David runs to the battle. He's not looking at the giant. He's looking at his God. You know, in fact, if you study the passage, you'll notice something. David never calls the giant by name, not one time. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine, he disrespects the giant. He doesn't even call him by name. Two times he refers to Goliath. Nine times he refers to God. See, you need to keep your eyes on God. And you need to keep on seeing the God who is over the giant. And you need to start talking more about God. You need to talk about the faithfulness of God. You need to let it come out of your mouth. Every time you face a giant, talk about God. Talk about his greatness. Talk about his might. Talk about his power. That's what praise does. Praise is the ultimate act of faith. Before we get over to the other side, before we get through the valley, before God parts the river, we just talk about the greatness of God. Keep your eyes focused on God. Because the truth is, when you face a giant in your life, the next stone you have to pick up is the stone of priority. See, 
this story is really not about a little boy and a giant. This story is about the devil and God. This story is about good and evil. And the truth is, David had one priority in his life. Look at me. David had one priority. When he picked up those stones, when he picked up those five stones, one of them was the stone of priority. And friend, we don't live our life for our own good. We don't live our life for our own sake. We live our life for the glory of God. And when God allows you to face a giant in your life, it's because he wants you to step in the valley and he wants, to, he wants you to show off how big God is. Hallelujah. When you're in the hospital, he wants you to show off how big God is. He wants you to make an opportunity to show and declare the greatness of God in your life. As the Bible says that Jesus was told that Lazarus was dying. And they said, Jesus, you need to go to Lazarus right away and heal him. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to let him die. And I'm going to let him get put in a tomb. And I'm going to let him be there so long that he starts to stink. And then I'm going to come here and I'm going to raise him from the dead. And I want you to know today, God wants to raise your dreams and he wants to raise your possibility and he wants you to know that God's a big God and when you're facing whatever you face in your life you need to say all for the glory of God by life or by death I live for the glory of God in my life you know I'm going to tell you something God has, God has been so good to me he's been so good to me because lately I'm seeing so many people come to Jesus by me just saying, God, wherever I go, whatever I do, God, Lord, if I'm walking to a valley, Lord, and I see somebody else in that valley, I'm taking them with me to your kingdom. Lord, if I'm stuck in physical therapy, I'm taking them into your kingdom. Lord, wherever I am, no matter what situation happens in my life, by life or by death, by good or by bad, by hard or difficulty, Lord God. I promise you, God, wherever I go, I'm going to make your name big. I'm going to make you famous, Jesus. I'm reminded of the story of my wife and I. My mother-in-law, she's really sick. She's, she's kind of really at that point in her life where she's praying, God, just take me home. So it seems like every week we're, we're bringing her back to the hospital. We're bringing her to the nursing home, and it gets tiring. Pray, pray for my wife. She's just really just, she's given 13 years of her life to do one thing, minister to her mom. Love of God flowing through my wife, just ministering to my mom, to my mother-in-law. We were at a, a nursing home and we were leaving. It was 7 o'clock at night and I was exhausted. I was tired and, and I wanted to go eat. I wanted to go eat some pasta falu. I was tired. And we're walking out of the nursing home and my wife is encountered by two people, a brother and a sister, and they start talking to my wife, and they're like, hey, man, do you like this nursing home? And my wife's like, it's okay, you know, and, and, and she starts talking to him. Half an hour goes by, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm sitting off to the side. And I'm like, hunt, come on, man. I want to go eat, dude. I'm hungry. I was, I, I'm just being honest with you. I was not interested in having a conversation with anybody but my pasta fazul. And the Lord quickened my heart and said, you're being selfish. Get up right now. Get up right now and talk to that man about me. So I began to talk to him about the Lord. He, he's become one of my good friends. We've had breakfast together. He's come to church 
for two months now. He's on fire for God. Last week, let me, listen, listen. Last week, he brought his son. His son gave his life to Jesus. Two weeks ago, he brought his wife. His wife has come, and she said, man, this church is cool. I'm going to come back. She came back another time. Listen, by life or by death, by problems, by valleys, whatever goes on in our life, our priority is to glorify God in everything we do. But do you know why David picked up five stones? I'm going to tell you why he picked up five stones. Because Goliath had four brothers. And he knew the moment he sunk that stone into his forehead, Goliath's brothers would come over the hill. Why? Because David was from the Bronx. David was from Brooklyn. David was from Queens. David was from Nassau County. He knew if he took down one brother, he had to face all the brothers. And I'm going to tell you right now. God wants us to be persistent in our faith, persistent in tackling the problems of our life. And for every problem that comes our way, God's going to give us grace to deal with the problems in our life. See, the truth is, there were times in David's life when he knocked down that giant with one shot. But there were other times, come on, let's be honest. When the giants knocked David down, the giant of temptation knocked David down. The giant Saul that was chasing after David every day of his life knocked David down sometimes. But the Bible says a righteous man, a man or a woman after God's own heart, they just keep on getting up. They, they, they get knocked down, they shake the dust off their, and they just... They just keep going, man. You knock them down, and they get back up again. You knock them down, and they get back up again. They're like Rocky Balboa. Hey, yo, Mickey, cut me. And they get back up again. Why? Because they're persistent. I want you all to stand to your feet right here, right now. And I'm going to ask you a question right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, if you were to die today, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? You say, Pastor, why would you ask me such a question? Because that's the most important question today. The most important question is, is, do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know if you did die, you'd go to heaven? Jesus died on the cross and conquered the greatest giant of all, the giant of death. We celebrate Easter. And the reason why we celebrate Easter is because Jesus came to conquer sin and death. And all people who disobey and, and sin, die spiritually. But Jesus rose on the third day to give us eternal life and to come into our life and give us hope and change us from the inside out. You say, Pastor, I'm not certain if I die today and I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I want you to raise your hand right now. Say, Pastor, pray for me right now. Anybody in this place? God bless you. Anybody? Come on, be honest. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to pray for you this week. I want to keep you in my prayers. I want to pray. Pastor, pray for me today. I'm not certified. I today. I go to heaven. I want to see your hand. Come on, raise it high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hey, listen. It only takes one prayer to kill the giant of sin and death and eternal separation from God. Only takes one prayer. It takes a prayer that says, God, I acknowledge that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. I need a savior in my life. 
And Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life. Can we pray that prayer right now? If you raised your hand, listen to me. If you raised your hand, I'm going to be standing right here. This is the greatest moment of my Sunday is when I get to hug you and I get to pray for you. If you raised your hand today, said, I want to know Jesus is my Savior. I'm going to pray right now a, a prayer. We're going to pray together. But then I want to personally pray for you as well and give you some information to help you on your journey of faith so that you could be a Christ follower. So you can kill the giants in your life with confidence that you have a relationship with God. But let's, let's all bow our heads right now and pray this simple prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned. And I thank you, Jesus, that you came from heaven, stepped into the valley of death, faced the giant of sin, and faced the giant of death, and you conquered. And on the third day, you rose. And today, you're touching my heart. I ask you today, forgive me of my sins and be my Savior and be my Lord. From this day forward, I put my trust in your finished work on the cross. Thank you, God, for making me a child of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can you just thank the Lord for that right now? Can you do that right now? Now, now, if that was you, I, I want to shake your hand and give you some information. But if, if you're here today, listen to me as we close. If you're here today and, and you have forgotten who you are in Christ and you feel like, man, I've been struggling and I just don't know who I am anymore. I want you to take this rock that's in here, and I want you to hold on to it. I've given you rocks before. And I want you to take this rock, and when you look at it, you'll remember you're a child of God. Or maybe you've forgotten the good things that God has done in your life, and, and maybe you're prone to complaining and grumbling. Take the rock of thankfulness and say, God, every time I'm tempted to complain, I'm going to remember how good you've been. Or, or maybe you, you're here today, and you say, man, I've just lost my focus on God. I've become so busy that I've lost my focus on Christ. Or maybe, for, perhaps maybe you say, you know what? I've been so caught up in my own problems, complaining about my problems, that I don't realize my life is all about glorifying God. Or maybe you've gotten knocked down and you think, I can't get back up again. I've fallen and I can't, I just wanted to do that. And I can't get back up again. God's saying, you can get back up again. Hey, friends. I want you to get out of your seat right now, get one of your rocks, and remember, God has a plan for your life, and it's big. Have a good day in Jesus. I love you. Have a great day. Come and get your rocks. Come and get your rocks, and remember, God's a faithful God.